Good morning. It is good to see each one of you and to be together to worship this morning. Last week, one day, uh, Marion had some merchandise to take down to the store and in intercourse, and she also had a, a small refrigerator that was delivered by Walmart, and they put it on the front porch, and she wanted it upstairs. So she was uh, asking me if I would go along to be to manhandle this refrigerator upstairs, and I ag agreed to do that. And she also enticed me a little bit. We can stop and get something to eat. Uh, we hadn't. It was after lunch, and we hadn't eaten yet. And so let's go make this run. And so it sounded like fun, and I could do something uh, that needed to be done. And so we went down and got the refrigerator upstairs. And it's now about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and okay, we found a, a nice reputable restaurant to get something to eat, and they had a buffet. And we both, well, let's get the buffet, it'll be fast, and we can be on our way home again, and we did that. And we rather enjoyed the food, it was nothing wrong with the food. We didn't think there was until we got home, and Marion was sick, and I was sick. And so we compared notes and we said, you know, there's really only two things that we ate that, was, that were alike and they were the salad. And uh, we had some deep fried shrimp and we, it's very unlikely from deep fried sh breaded shrimp that you would get ill. It was probably the lettuce was our, was our guess. And we'll never know for sure if that's what it was and we can't prove it, but most likely because we hadn't eaten before that day and it just seemed like uh, it had to be something. And the point I wanna make with that little story is that everything looked so well on the surface. Everything uh, didn't seem to be any, any problems anywhere. Uh, but apparently there was something bad. There was some bacteria in that lettuce somewheres or something in the salad bar that made us ill, and it was, it was very, very subtle. Uh, if it would have been marked, if there would have been a little note there, the salad bar said, uh, poison, you eat this, you're gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna be sick. We would have both, you know, just passed through. There's no way we would, have, we would have eaten it. But there was nothing, absolutely nothing, no indication that, that this is gonna, gonna make us ill. So we enjoyed it and, uh, and got ill. And I, I wanna be very careful, I don't want to, I know that with food poisoning and that type of thing that uh, sometimes you, you can get an idea that you got ill somewhere and it may have been something else and so I, I'm, we can't be 100% sure, but in this case it was most likely that's what it was. And so it, it was very, very subtle and uh, made us ill. Well this morning, the topic that I want to share is perhaps the most subtle uh, sin that Christians are confronted with. And I've thought about this for many, many years and, and uh, worked up the courage to talk about it this morning. It's, I believe, very, very subtle and devastating. It, it's, I believe there's probably my personal opinion is there's no sin that affects churches more than this one. And, and in such a subtle way, 
We know, as Christians, we know to stay away from immorality. We know to stay away from porn and illegal drugs and alcohol and tobacco and stealing and lying, cheating and all those types of things. We know that it's just, you stay away from it. We, we understand that. But this one is so sneaky and it comes dressed up like a really nice meal. And if we aren't careful, we become infected with it, and we didn't even realize it. The message title this morning is The Subtleness of Spiritual Pride. The Subtleness of Spiritual Pride. Now, when you think about pride, pride is, I believe, the, the primary culprit that keeps people out of heaven. Fallen mankind is very proud. Uh, we, we understand that. Uh, in, in our fallen nature, mankind says, I will not bow my knee to God. I will not surrender my life to God. And so unregenerate mankind is the primary sin and that keeps people out of heaven, keeps people away from a relationship with God, is pride. There, there you got it. it it's, it's pride. I, I will not bow to God. God hates it. In Isaiah 14, the scripture tells us there that Lucifer was lifted up in pride. You read through that chapter and, and uh, Lucifer's, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And he's just lifted up in pride and, it, and the end result was Lucifer being cast out of heaven. In Proverbs 6.16 it says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And then in verse 17, the first thing listed there is a proud look. God hates a proud look. God has a special hatred, I believe, for the sin of pride. The word pride in, in Hebrew is a, is a primitive root word, and we would pronounce the word in uh, room, it's just simply like, like the word room, we use the word room, it's actually spelled R-U-W-M, but the Hebrew uh, root word for pride means to rise up, to exalt or extol self, to be haughty, to lift oneself up, to mound up, to presumptuously promote and set oneself up on high, and so whenever Pride simply is, is the lifting, taking oneself and lifting ourselves up, is the, the Hebrew primitive root word for, for pride. And God hates it. I'd like to read two, two verses from you, to you from Isaiah. The first one's from Isaiah 43, 21. God says, This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. And so... Verse is very clear. God formed mankind so that we would show forth his praise, the opposite of lifting ourselves up. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. So do you understand the, how devastating it is when we as mere humans promote ourselves and glorify ourselves rather than glorifying God. Well, as I said, uh, it, the message title is the subtleness of spiritual pride. So now we're talking about pride. 
So what is spiritual pride? Spiritual pride sounds like this one's for the Christians. Uh, you can't have spiritual pride if you're not spiritual. So to those of us, for those of us who are born again, we're spiritual. We've been, uh, we're in, in God's kingdom. This one's for us. It comes home to, to us this morning. I believe the truth is that Satan never gives up. Satan is a fool, but he never gives up. A person gets born again. Satan is, in a sense, defeated, and, and in another sense, he, he, he doesn't give up. He says, well, I, they're, they're in the kingdom, but I'm not giving up, and I'm going to go after them with everything I have. And one of the ways that Satan loves to go after Christians is in the area of spiritual pride. He keeps trying to poison us. Satan says, so now they're spiritual. I'll do my best to infect their spirituality and to, to get them to, to, uh, to experience spiritual pride. In uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, just like to read to you part of a verse there. You need not turn to it. But spiritual uh, giant Paul, if you will, wrote the book of Romans. And here we have the Apostle Paul, and he's addressing the church at Rome. And this is how he addresses the church. He says, Beloved of God, called to be saints. And so I just I read that verse to, to remind us all that even Paul uh, uses words... Uh, He's not speaking down to others. Paul's saying, we are the family of God. We're all called to be saints, and we are all beloved of, beloved of God. And those of us who are parents, we know that we, our children are, uh, we, we love them all. Uh, and that's how it is in the church. In the church, and you've heard this before, but it's so true, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. When we're born into God's kingdom, we, there's, there's a levelness there. We are, we are now in the family of God, and we are brothers and sisters. God is our Father, and we are called to give glory to God, not to promote ourselves. And that is, is Christianity. Spiritual pride in a nutshell, is when a believer lifts themselves up among the beloved of God, the called to be saints people. So we're in the family of God, and an individual says, you know what? I'm better than... I, 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 I'm going to promote myself in this family of God that I find myself in, is in my mind, in a nutshell, is, is, would be a definition of spiritual pride. I also believe that as believers, we are all susceptible to it because of our fallen nature. And I believe Satan comes and attacks us and loves us to trip us up in this area. I believe that spiritual pride causes much tension, pain, and stifles spiritual growth in churches and left unchecked has the ability to eventually ruin a human soul that has been born again. 
And I believe the effects of it in Christianity down through the years are devastating. How much turmoil among believers in churches is caused by uh, spiritual pride? If I could have a lesson aimed this morning, uh, it would be this, a verse from Proverbs. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. And so my goal in the message this morning is simply to make us aware of the, how devastating spiritual pride is. And I'm not insinuating that Marstown is infected with it. I'm not doing that at all. I'm just, I, I want us to be aware. And I want us to be aware that when and if there is contention in the body of Christ, Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. And so somewhere, someone, or a group of people is lifting themselves up. But with the well-advised is wisdom. And I, it's my desire that all of us would be well-advised this morning in this area. Let's go for the text this morning. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And you will quickly notice that this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. My guess is that about every seven years this shows up in our Sunday school curriculum. And probably many of you have taught this many times. But as I was thinking about spiritual pride, this is where my mind went, and I've been reading this and studying it and meditating on it, and I think it is an appropriate text to use thinking about spiritual pride. Matthew chapter 20, and beginning at verse 17. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and said unto them, so notice the picture, Jesus is, we're headed to Jerusalem, he has these 12 disciples, and as you'll discover, obviously a few other people also, but he's headed to Jerusalem with his, uh, with the, with his disciples, and he's talking to them on the way. And this is what he says in verses 18 and 19, he says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Wow. Jesus just uh, laid it on him. He said, this is what is going to happen to me. There's a lot of what, what lies ahead in my immediate future is lots and lots of suffering. And he, he just tells them exactly what, it, what is going to transpire. And the, the last few words there, he also tells them that, but after all of this, I'm going to rise again. And when, when you think about that, and to the disciples, this was some pretty heavy stuff about their dearest friend, Jesus, who they had been traveling with and ministering with for a number of, for a, I'm not sure exactly how long at this point, but probably a few years. And, uh, well, it was a few years. And, uh, and he's telling them uh, all about 
his life and what he's going to experience, and you would you would think that they would be uh, they would be thinking about this, and you would think their response would be, "Well, Jesus, what can we do to help? How can we pray for you? How can we help Jesus tell us what we need to do?" And instead of that, we come to to, to the very next verse, and it says. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And so here we have uh, Zebedee's, uh, or we have James and John coming with their mother. And uh, the scripture says they, they come worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And the worship we understand how they were, so they're, they're worshiping Jesus, but I'm not sure how Jesus, uh, but he, he detected that they wanted something. Did they verbalize it? Or, or but he detected they wanted something. It reminds me of, uh, of children sometimes come to parents and we're like, uh, you know, or even an adult sometimes, I know they want something, but what is it? And so it's like, here, Jesus, okay, what, what's up? What do you want? So in their worship, Jesus detected something. They want something. This is more than, than simply worshiping me. And in verse 21, And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on, the, on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. And so here she gives a... Uh, explains what she wants. In Mark 10, in the parallel account, it says that James and John made the, made the request with no mention of, of their mother. So how did, this, uh, how did this happen exactly? Some Bible commentaries feel that, that probably uh, Mark knew that uh, even though the mother made the request that it was the boys that put her up to it. That happens in families, too. Sometimes children come and they'll say something, who sent you? And so most likely, that's what happened here. They sent their mother. They said, Mom, you ask Jesus if, if we would be allowed to, one of us to sit in his right hand and the other to sit on his left hand in his kingdom. And she goes to Jesus and, and makes her request. I believe we have here a classic example of spiritual pride. It's, get, get the picture, they're worshiping and they're desiring to promote themselves. Classic example of spiritual pride. Worshiping God, but a desire to lift myself up, to promote myself. Their desire was cloaked in spirituality. Did they really want to be close to Jesus? What was their motive? Did they really, were they, did they really want to be close to Jesus? And it, it, was, that their, was that their desire? Or were they putting distance between themselves and the others? The, the other disciples, the other ten disciples, uh, 
They, they, were, they were separating themselves. We want to be the one on the left, the other on your right. What was it? The other thing, uh, I'm reading this scripture. How long? I, I really believe this was premeditated. I believe James and John thought about this for a long time. I don't think this was just a spur of the moment thing. I think they were thinking, huh, I, you know, this, you know, and, and, and uh, here it comes, here it comes bubbling out. Suppose that Jesus had responded this way. Suppose Jesus would have said, I'm so glad you asked, and the spots are yours. James and John, you get to sit on my, the one on my right hand, the other on my left. I can't believe nobody asked before you. Why'd you wait so long? It's yours. You got it. What would have that done to their heads? What would have that done to, to James and John? What would have it done to their relationship with the other ten disciples? Would have, made, would have made quite a picture, wouldn't have it? Do you think they would have reminded the other ten disciples and uh, in, in the days that, that uh, were ahead and, and in their ministry? Do you think they would have said, uh, you know, don't forget, we're the guys that are sitting, the one on the left, one on this side of Jesus, and the, I'm sitting on that side of Jesus. Uh, don't forget, Jesus assigned that to us, and those are our spots and you guys, you're just, uh, you know, there's, there, there's this gap between us. Do you see, I, I believe what James and John really wanted was a name for themselves. It's what they wanted. They wanted a name for themselves. They wanted the other ten disciples and all the other believers to say, you know, whoa, James and John, you know, they're not just, they're, they, got, they got a position they they got a they're high and lofty. They have a name for themselves. I mean, Jesus himself told them that they get to sit the one in the right hand and the other on the left. These are not no ordinary people. They got a name. They have a name for themselves. And I believe that that is a really really big problem. You know, there is only one person who has a high and a lofty name, and it's Jesus. I want to read two verses from you. The one's from Ephesians and the other one from Philippians. The first one describes Jesus. It says, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And then the, word, the verse in Philippians says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That's Jesus. A name above every name. And when you and I have a desire within us to have a name for ourselves, we just, we just ate some poison on the salad bar. We got something bad. We got some bacteria that's beginning to work in our, in our spiritual life 
and it's going to manifest itself real quickly in some very unpleasant and unseemly ways. And it's going to create a lot of havoc. We're doing two things. When we have a desire to have a name for ourselves, there's two things that we're doing. The first one is we're setting ourselves up. And the second one is we're setting ourselves apart from the rest of the, of the body of Christ. Those are the two things that we're doing. And they're both terrible things to do. In verse, verses 22 and 23 in our text this morning, Jesus said, no. They wanted, to be, they wanted to set themselves up, and Jesus said, no. In verse 22, Jesus answered and said, ye know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, yep, we can do that, we're able and he said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and to sit on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. So Jesus said, No, you're not, I'm not going to allow you to set yourself up. Now notice the setting themselves apart. Verse 24 says, And when the ten heard it, or the other disciples, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. You know what the other ten disciples, do, do you know what they're, I believe they're, they're, they observed this happening? They, James and John are like, we're going to set ourselves up. We're going we're gonna to set ourselves up. We're going to set ourselves apart. And Jesus said, no, you're not. And I think the other ten disciples, they observed this whole thing happening, and they responded the same way that you and I respond sometimes today in situations. We say, who do you think you are? James and John, who do you think you are to make a request like this? Who do you really think you are? And they were moved with indignation against them. Take note if, in, in, in your spiritual life, take note if other believers have indignation against you. Take note. It's very, very subtle spiritual pride. Take note if other believers say to you or indicate to you, who do you think you are? Take note of that. Take it seriously when somebody's, who do you think you are? Don't just brush it off as being persecuted for righteousness sake. Take note of it too if there's 10 of them or if there's a lot of them. I have observed that in, in, in many instances, people that I believe are infected with spiritual pride, that, there's a, that there's a, they, they, they live their Christian lives, and they might say, well, I'm being persecuted. And, and my observation is that there's a bunch of people that, are, that have indignation against you because of who you think you are. 
and you keep getting into scrapes and, and scraps and problems because you keep trying to lift yourself up and set yourself apart. And the rest of the family is saying, who do you think you are? And sometimes they even say something to you or what have you. And so let's be careful that we don't brush it off if that is a pattern in our Christian lives. Now, I need to get very practical about the subtleness of spiritual pride. How is it detected? How can we avoid it? I believe that one must carefully examine our motives in everything. We must carefully, carefully look at our motives. What are my motives in this? James and John had, they were, they were motivated. And that they were motivated by something that was not good. They wanted to lift themselves up, lift them, put, set themselves apart. Their motivation was wrong. And so in my life and in your life, we, we need to be constantly examining and thinking about what's motivating me? What's motivating me? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is this about glorifying the name of Jesus? Or is this about making a name for myself? There's some, some practical things uh, to think about. And there's many others, just some of the things that, that I thought about. When it, comes to, uh, when it comes to our families, be careful that, we're, that we don't have a motivation to somehow have a perfect family or this, this, uh, this, this Christian family that is just, uh, that, that we're not doing it so that for the sake of my name and my reputation, so that people would look at my family and say, wow, the Zimmermans got it together. Look at, just look at them. They do everything. And, and, uh, and, and that's what's driving me to make this, to, to, to have this name for myself and, and, and my family. Be, be careful of that. Uh, examine your motive. We're li- remember, we're lifting God's name on high. We're worshiping him. We're blessing him. We're not making a name for ourselves. We're worshiping the name of Jesus. Another uh, area could be the whole area of our, our financial aspirations, our job, uh, business, or, or whatever in, in that whole area. Be careful that our motivation is to, is to provide for our families and to... Uh, to, to serve the Lord, to bless others, help others, that we're not just, that it's not about making a name for ourselves. Uh, that people would say, wow, that is, uh, you know, this person has done so good financially and they're just, they're just a wonderful, they're a financial wizard, if you will, and, uh, and has made a name for themselves in that area. Let's be careful of our motives when it comes to to our financial aspirations or our jobs. And then uh, another area would be in our service in the church. 
our spiritual gifts. We all, God, God gifts spiritual people with spiritual gifts. And so we all have this variety of spiritual gifts, and probably not a one of us has them all, but we all have these spiritual gifts that God wants us to use to bring honor and glory to him and to serve the church. But let's be careful in doing that, that we're doing it to promote God's kingdom and to bless him and to bless uh, other believers and not to make a name for ourselves. Uh, you, can, you can be a Sunday school teacher and you can do a wonderful job of teaching Sunday school and Satan can come to you right afterwards and he wants to infect you and he'll say, boy, Bob, you did a really fine job this morning. That was wonderful. No one ever taught a lesson like that before at Myerstown. And uh, if you take that poison and you, you allow it to get into your, into your spiritual life, why, you've been infected. And uh, you think, boy, I'm, I'm someone special. I have, I have this special ability to teach. And, uh, and I've, I, I'm, I'm making a name for myself. And allow that into your spiritual life and you've been infected with spiritual pride. And we could talk about all the other areas of service as well. Regardless of, uh, we all have responsibilities in the church. And regardless of what it is, teaching, song leading, trustees, librarians, ushers, the list goes on and on. Or you can go to the, you can go to the mission field. And, uh, and you, can, you, some, you could actually go to the mission field and have a wrong motive from the very beginning. Your motivation could be to make a name for yourself. Uh, you know, they're in the mission field and, and you're just simply, you're there to make a name for yourself and that is uh, you're attempting to lift yourself up rather than to faithfully serve the Lord. And so it's things to be very, very careful of. Something so noble as going to Bible school. Bible school is a wonderful thing. I go to Bible school. It's a great thing to do. But be careful that your motivation is correct and you want to go to learn more about God and, and, uh, and, and to, to grow in your spiritual life and you don't want to go to make a name for yourself. Uh, you know, he was so many terms at SMBI. You know, he, he graduated from SMBI and, uh, and, and then wear that as a, as a badge of honor, so to speak. And uh, I'm, you know... Huh, he's never even been to Bible school, or she's never even gone to Bible school. And you're lift and in, in that all, you the possibility exists that you can lift yourself up, and in doing so, Satan will be quite pleased, and you've been infected with spiritual pride. Another area would simply be education. Uh, I have a son with a college education. And I'm not against higher education, but I believe it's very dangerous. And I also believe that we must be very, very careful, very careful, because uh, there's the world at large really promotes higher education, and uh, you're nothing unless you're college educated. And in, in Christianity, there's room for higher education, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm, I'm, I'm not knocking it. But Satan 
can use it as a tool to bring havoc to a person's spiritual life. Uh, you can go to college and you can go to, you can go to college for years and years till they tell you there's no more courses we can possibly give you. And in the body of Christ, you're still just one of the brethren. That's who you are. And you don't get to sit in the right hand of God because you went through college. Uh, and and, and you, you get, what, get what I'm saying. It's, it's a very serious thing. And, and Satan just loves to use it to, to get into a person's life and into their head and to make us think that we're someone special. And another one, and this is probably a really big one, that, and maybe the one that we'd be the most familiar with when it comes to things that, that Satan uses to, uh, to infect a person with spiritual pride. Let's think a little bit about personal convictions. Personal convictions, personal standards, I'm all for them. We all need to have them as Christians. We need to have personal convictions and we need to have personal standards. But when I take my personal convictions and standards and look at other people and say, huh, they don't, their, their standards obviously aren't what mine are. So, you know, I'm, I'm special. They're, they're down there somewheres and I'm up here somewheres because my standards are different. And I lift myself up because of the convictions and personal standards that I have in my life. I'm lifting myself up. I'm setting myself apart. I'm doing right what James and John did. Lord, could I sit on your right hand? My brother sit over there on your left hand. The rest of these disciples, they can just be elsewhere. I don't really care where they're at. But we have a place of prominence. We have a special place because we're special people. And so when I, uh, I, should, be, when I should be thanking God for the personal convictions he gave me, and, and, and should be uh, praying for others and intent on worshiping God and lifting his name up, when that turns into lifting myself up, I've just had some, something really bad off of the salad bar. Something really bad. And it's infecting me, and it's going to infect the relationships with other believers and it's not good. It is not good. And it can be very, very devastating. How can, how can it be avoided? I really believe that it's that subtle that many times, and maybe most times, we're blinded to it. We really don't get it. We really don't get it. We need to pay close attention, very, very close attention to the ten indignated brothers or brethren. 
because they're probably on to something. Like I said earlier, when, uh, when there's turmoil in our, in our lives and, there's, and, there's, uh, and we sense that we're agitating people, take it seriously. Take it seriously. Maybe, just maybe, it's not that we're being persecuted for righteousness sakes. Maybe it's not because they're merely jealous of us or something like that. Maybe, just maybe, they're on to something. Maybe I have lifted myself up, I'm setting myself apart, and they're right like children in a family. They are looking at me and saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And then our relationship just becomes kind of, uh, kind of like sandpaper and kind of scratchy and, and what have you. So... I think that primarily that's one of the ways that we detect if there's spiritual pride in our life. What's the cure? The cure is in verses 25 through 28. 25 through 28. Where am I at here? Did I flip a page? I lost my place. Verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and saying, You know not the princes of, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even so, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, we truly get a great name for ourselves when we put our name last and serve others in the pattern that Jesus set for us. Serving others. The beginning I talked about our motives as we examine things and as we think about our motive. Is this is what I'm doing, is it to promote myself? Is it to make a name for myself? Or is it to serve others? The pattern that Jesus set was for you and I to, set, to serve others, to be a servant. And that is the way to make a, we're truly making a name for ourselves in the kingdom when we serve others. So regardless of what we're doing, we're making a name for ourselves, but let's make a name for ourselves the way Jesus would have us to do it, and it's by serving others and worshiping God, promoting his name, making sure that we're not making a name for ourselves 
and setting ourselves apart from others. I'm finished. And I, I just, I really, I really believe, I want you to think about, meditate upon what we, what we thought about this morning and, and, and uh, examine your own life as I've examined mine. I believe we, we all are, are susceptible to getting infected with spiritual pride. I'm no different than any, than any of you. And it's, it's possible, and I believe every one of us struggles with it from time to time in, in our lives. But I, re- I really believe that so many problems and struggles in, in, uh, in the family of God is due to spiritual pride. So let's make sure that, that I'm not contributing to that. And let's make sure that I am faithful in serving others in the beautiful pattern that Jesus set for us. Let's stand together for a closing prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming into this world and and giving your life so that we could have spiritual life. As we looked into the scriptures this morning and reflected on the, the seriousness of spiritual pride and, and, uh, and know that Satan never gives up. He keeps coming after even your children when they're in the kingdom. Lord, help us to carefully examine our own lives and to make sure that we're not caught up in this awful sin that Satan loves to trap us in. And If we find ourselves in it, Lord, help us to have the courage to repent and to renounce it and to return to making a name for you rather than making a name for ourselves. Help us to carefully examine our motives and everything that we do in life. I thank you for the family of God. I thank you for the beauty that is is in the family of God. And I thank you that in the family of God, Uh, There's accountability, and so let's be accountable to one another, and when people are looking at us and saying, who do you think you are, let's take it seriously and examine our lives and and the motives that we may have in, in the things that we're doing. I thank you for all the gifts that are in the family of God and the way that people exercise them, and we are blessed by one another as we do that, but help us to always keep everything in in its proper place and to be furthering your kingdom and not furthering ourselves. As we leave here this morning, Lord, I ask that you would watch over, protect us, and bless us and help us to be a blessing to others this week. In Jesus' name I pray.